Welcome to the Kingdom Life San Antonio podcast. For more information about Kingdom Life San Antonio, check out KingdomLifeSA.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. I love that we sang that song, I Surrender, because I have this visual of, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it kind of feel like Groundhog's Day. Did y'all see that movie? Like every day they wake up, it's Groundhog's Day, and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this. Okay, we're doing this again. And I kind of had the visual of this, the enemy, like, did you have an older brother who like would twist your arm behind your back until you could say uncle? And I'm like so stubborn. I'm like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. And like my arm would literally be out of the socket because I'm not going to say uncle just because he's trying to make me. And I kind of had the picture of like, I know that that's what the enemy is trying to do and thinks he's doing, but little does he know <laughs> that in this time of pressure, and we're going to talk about that tonight because we're going to look at the book of Revelation in this time, the radiant, glorious bride is being birthed. That what comes out of tribulation is the kingdom of God advancing, is the bride. And none of this has escaped the notice of our Father. And there is one thing that I know about him. I, I know some things by this point in my life. <laughs> But years ago, I heard Graham Cook say that God is the kindest person that I've ever known. And that touched my heart so much. And I was like, Lord, what do I know for sure? Like 110%, put it in the bank. It's, and it's that he's faithful. God is faithful. He has always been faithful. And this entire season, about three years ago, I preached a message on the Israelites going through um, uh, in the wilderness. And when the spies went into the land and they saw the grasshoppers, they weren't grasshoppers. They're actually giants. But you know what? They probably they were grasshoppers. They saw the giants in the land, and they thought the giants were going to take them out. And the and God said that they are bread for you. The very thing that looks like it's going to sideline you, take you out, swallow you up, destroy you, God has it for bread, sustenance, strength, provision. He uses every single thing in our life, every single tear. Every single bit of pain, every single thing he uses for our good. It is a promise and it is for his glory. And when we were just singing that song and I was like, I just was hearing him say, you know, and I'm going to do a ton of word tonight. But Jesus has truly captivated my gaze. And to me, there is no other sideshow. Like we cannot be distracted by the sideshow. Because there is a lot of stuff going on, right? There is a lot of chaos and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of voices and noise. And we need to silence that. And this scripture came to me back there. And so I just looked it up because I knew it was in Colossians 1. And I just want to read it as we start. He is, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I mean, that is just good news. 
All things exist by him, for him, through him, to him. He holds all things together in himself. Every rank of authority, every dominion, every little worm of the demonic realm, it exists because right now he is still tolerating it, but one day he will sweep it all away and all that is left in a new heaven and a new earth and a radiant glorified bride and people flooding to King Jesus in his throne room where we get to participate right now. So all of this, not to belittle it, because that's why I asked how y'all are doing, because there's a lot going on. And Sarah prayed for me before, and I am going to really, who, did y'all bring your Bible? Or like, did you say on an app? (laughs) I can't do the whole app thing with the Bible. Like I need, like I literally have so many different, but whenever at my old church, we'd hold up our Bible and we'd say, this is my Bible. It is the word of God. It has changed my life. Did anybody raise your hand if you'd have done that? Okay, thank you, old school people. Y'all are all my age. <laughs> and, and that's right, I couldn't remember the rest of it. What do we say? And I am what it says I am, and I can do the things that it says I can do. I love it. But let me tell you something. This word, that is absolutely true. I love this word, and I am hungry so hungry for more of the word. And you know how I got hungry? Because I've been eating it. <laughs> like the more I read this word, the more I want it. The more I like I take it in, I just like want to have deeper revelation and more understanding. And the way that you get it is you read it. You just open it. You ask for illumination. So Sarah, when she prayed over me, she was praying about the word going out and seed. And y'all are good soil. And he wants to scatter seed tonight. And I believe that you get to have a hundredfold harvest because even if it bypasses your brain, you get to take the word in, you get to receive it, and it grows up into a hundredfold crop. And even if you don't understand, even if it bypasses, and I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what she's saying right here, your spirit man knows. Your spirit, your heart knows things long before your head does. Do you ever have that? You're like, I know something's happening right here, but I'm like, I got nothing going on here. It's that. It's the penny doesn't drop. It's the penny rises and communicates to my head, oh, yeah, that's what we've known all along. Your spirit man's alert and alive and attentive to God. It's in the throne room. It's communing all night long. And and I used to wonder, like, why did I have so many encounters at night? Why did God speak to me so much in my dreams? And it was because when you're awake, you're so busy. My mind is on so many things, and I get distracted. But at night, I might be sleeping, but my spirit man is wide awake and it is communing with heaven. So that's why when you wake up, you should like be writing down whatever it was you had. Even if you think it was a dumb pizza dream, you should write it down because he loves to communicate that way. Um, I'm going to, tonight, I don't know why I have this up here. Um, when I say, and we're going we're gonna to read the word, and I like to talk about encounter light, and my favorite way to go into an encounter, that sounds weird, um, to encounter him is through the word. And so tonight, when we're reading the word, you're going to engage your heart. Because sometimes we can read a scripture, and I've, I've read it a hundred times, so I know it, and immediately we check out, don't we? We're like, oh yeah, I know this one, it's good. You know, actually that's what religion does. Religion is the one that checks out, oh yeah, no, I already know that, I've got, I'm good in that area. But there are layers upon layers upon layers of the word, and I fear that we have um, 
we've lost the love of just the word of God. The sharp sword that it is, the living word, it is living and vibrant. And so I just tonight, as we engage our hearts, that you are going to encounter him, the author of the word, in a whole new way. And that possibly new things open up, deeper revelation, deeper insight, deeper understanding. In Jesus' name. Yeah. So I do. I love revelation. I love digging in. I, uh, one of the, there's a couple of things that you can do. Like if you, as you're diving into the word, there's two keys to dig more revelation out of his word. And number one, it's just a passion to know him. Like when you just have a passion to know his heart, to know Jesus, he wants to open himself up and reveal himself to you, doesn't he? The second thing is say these words, I don't know. Was that hard for some of you? <laughs> I, I have to be, for me to be able to learn something, I have to be able to admit is maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I don't know. Because let me tell you something, I hung dogmatically for years because it was how I was brought up. It was the school of theology that I came out of is that the gifts of the spirit do not exist anymore. That there are no healings, that God doesn't do that. And it's because I was grew up in a dispensationalist church. And so that, and I held to it until one day I sat on the end of my bed and I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't know. There has to be more. And you know what happened? The whole world opened up to me. And so tonight, when I'm speaking, it's just that. It's like asking him, okay, is there something that you want to shift for me? Is there something that I've held on to that is possibly not even true? Because when I say those words, what if, just those two little words, what if, unhooks me from my subconscious programs, those automatic programs, you know, the default mode. It's what we've thought about every day, that what we do every day. We actually, 90% of our lives is run on the automatic default mode. But when I say, what if, it unhooks me out of that and connects me to my prefrontal lobe, which is your creator mode, your imagination, the joy center that we begin to create with God. And we want to move out of just survival mode, which is what the enemy wants to keep us in right now, and step into creator mode with creator God and imagine the possibilities of what he wants to do in our life. Imagine this world. Imagine what he has for you. Like we are actually living in the most exciting times. This is going to be an unprecedented time in history. We have never yet seen the awakening, the revival of what Jesus is going to usher in. But I believe that we are going to see it. And I believe there's some things that need to shift. There's some things that we need to hold on to. And we just stay the course. So I'm going to begin to introduce the book of Revelation tonight. How many of you just, you know, you could teach Revelation, you just know it, you know that your eschatology is right on it? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, because I'm not going to do that either. I am not going to dive deeply, but we are, I'm just going to posit a question. I'm just going to begin to talk about what if we look at the book of Revelation the way that I'm beginning to believe that he actually wrote it. Um, I started taking Bible college with Brian Simmons, and I'm studying the book of Revelation and because of a few little things that he tweaked, and we're going to do this in a minute. I'm going to set it up first. Because of some things he tweaked for me, y'all, my heart is freaking out. My spirit man is expanding and leaping and dancing, and revelation is going, boo, boo, and I don't know what to do. 
because you know those secret, secret decoder rings? We used to get them in like the cereal box. I don't know if people, do they still do that? Like you'd be so excited because you'd open the cereal box and they had a secret decoder ring. And that decoder ring would unlock the clues and they would hide it in commercials. They probably still do. I know that's that subliminal mes messaging. But you know, then it would just, everything would shift. You didn't see it and now it's all so clear. You know that picture, like it looks like a horse and a woman or I don't, something, and you don't, you don't see it at all, but then all of a sudden, oh, and then you can't unsee it. It's all you see, and you kind of want to go back to when you didn't see it, but you can't, right? That's what Revelation does. It's like once I experienced the fullness of Holy Spirit, and I didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and now I'm operating the gifts of the Spirit, you can't take that away from me, Right? That's what he wants us to do. So when I say, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about some things, it's just opening up to the possibility. It's humility. Because God has to resist the proud, the dogmatic, the stubborn, the know-it-all. And he gives grace to the humble. So we go in low, we go in with humble hearts, with a desire to know him intimately and passionately. And he wants to pour himself out and give you more. Um, I'm going to tie the beginning from the end, shocker. And so like from Revelation to Genesis, but in the beginning, you know, God created people to love because God is love. He created people and he created a planet out of love, out of his heart of love so that he could love. And so when we see and we see Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Genesis one said in the beginning, God and Holy Spirit hovered. So the Trinity is together and we can see they call it the crimson thread from Genesis all the way into the sea of Revelation. So I want to look at the beginning, and y'all are going to get it because your spirit man is just absorbing everything, the soil. I can see it just sucking it in. So starting from Genesis, we begin in a garden. And in Revelation, in Revelation 22, at the end of the book, we end in a garden. And the whole thing is a love story. But first, um, one of the things that I've felt that I've kind of been concerned about is that there's a lot of mixture out there. There's a lot of mixture. And the earth is looking for a pure expression from the heart of the Father. And we know what that looks like. We don't know if we've seen it yet, but our heart, the deepest parts of us know when we find the real deal, Right? We don't want to settle for a counterfeit. I don't want to settle for lesser loves. And what's happening is just the confusion. There's just so much mingling and mixture happening. But the Father wants to release a pure expression of his heart, and that is what the earth is longing for. And so religion, it's like that, that religion, it's not, religion is not a pet thing that we should just tolerate because it's okay. Religion is demonic to its core. Because religion denies the lordship of Jesus. It opposes the anointing. The antichrist spirit is anti-anointing. It is anti-Holy Spirit. It is, not, it is the opposition of the lordship of Christ in any area of my life is the antichrist spirit. And it is religion because if I can do it on my own strength, I will. If I can do more, try harder, be better. Listen, I was a good, I'm a rule follower. You tell me the rules of this game and I'll play it. <laughs> And I'm going, to, I'm going to play it well, and I'm going to try to win. That's what religion does. Do more. Try harder. The line keeps moving. It's idolatry. Idolatry is an image of our own making. 
And idolatry, it's the crux, it's at the very heart of religion, and, the, and it'll always demand more from you, more self-sacrifice, do more, you know, just hit yourself on the back for that thing you did yesterday, you know, and get back on the altar, and kill that flesh, and crucify the old man, and go ahead, and guess what, instead of just receiving the sacrifice that has already been made, it's that we're trying to work and get something by reward instead of by relationship. It's the two trees again. This is the third part to my two trees message. It's religion is demanding more. It will always demand more. And then what happens, and this is, I feel like this is what's happening with the world when people are saying, no thanks, Christians. I don't want you. I don't want to come to church. And I don't want what you have to offer. Is because what they have, they have not seen the real deal. What they've seen was religion. They're not saying no to Jesus They're saying no to religion, and good for them. (laughs) So um, I want us to turn. We're going to start by looking. Go to Genesis 11. And what we're after is intimacy. We want to know his heart. I want to sit, and I want to engage with his heart. I do not want a man-made thing. I do not want the cheap substitute or counterfeit. And so in Genesis, are you all with me? Okay, remember God's created the people, the earth, and Adam and Eve, and they go out, and then by Genesis 5 or so, 6, they do naughty things, and the sons of God come down, and they meet with the daughters of man, remember? So God wipes everybody out except for Noah, who was found righteous in his sight. So Noah and his family are kept in the ark of God's presence, and they're kept for, and they're I can't remember how many, 180, I don't remember how many, how long, whatever, it doesn't matter. So they're in the ark of God's presence until they land on earth and God then established a covenant with Noah. And the covenant with Noah, God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So here they are with a covenant and then Noah, the whole next chapter is all the descendants of Noah and they go out and they populate the earth. And then, and read, read with me. Are y'all reading? I don't know if I have them up there or not. Do we have? We do. But even better if you're reading it in your own Bible or on your own app. I'm telling you, there's something about that's engaging. When I am seeing it in my word and I'm taking notes, it actually will, I think, stay with you longer. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Stop there. What did God just told them to do? What was God's covenant with them? And what did he tell them to do? Fill the earth. Yes, God blessed them and he said, fill the earth and multiply. So as they're filling the earth, they all get together and they're like, hey, guess what? Let's build this tower with bricks and man-made. Let's build it from the earth to heaven, and let's make a name for ourselves. Genesis 1. Well, first of all, let's just say, 
that's a man-made system, and they were building it unto themselves. Independent, separate from God, they're actually making the image in their own making, right? And in Genesis 1, he said it to Noah in his covenant, but he'd already in Genesis 1 said, Trinity's together in the beginning and said, let us make man, mankind, mankind, in our own image, in the image and likeness of God, he made them male and female. God blessed them and said, go fill the earth, multiply and take dominion, right? That was in the beginning. The original intention of God's heart is that man would be made in his own image, in his own likeness, people who look just like him, fellowship with him to go and populate the earth and fill the earth with the God likeness, with the nature of God, which is glory. You were made to carry glory. Anna said it a minute ago, you're an image bearer. You are a glory bearer. And so we populate the earth. That was the original intention was populate the earth with glory, male and female. And by the way, I do need to say this. I did, last time I preached, I, I think, I, I not, don't think, I know, I kept saying she when I was talking about Holy Spirit. Please understand I'm not saying that God is a woman. I'm not saying God is a she. But God created male and female in his image. So there is a feminine side of God, right? It takes both. It takes the masculine and the feminine side for the full express image of God to be in the earth. And, and the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, is feminine. In the Greek, uh, it's pneuma. And it's neuter. But in the, the Hebrew, spirit is feminine. So I, I just want to clear that up because I'm not saying that I think God is a, a woman. I just am saying that there is a female and feminine side of God. Are we good? Do I understand what I'm saying? Okay. Um, so fill the earth, populate it, be fruitful and multiply. And God saw that he had created, and he said it was very good, and that was on the sixth day. So the number of man, just remember this, is the number six, right? In Bible symbolism, the number of man is six. What is everyone always looking for in the book of Revelation as we're studying our end-time decoders? 666. That might be a clue, might be a, something to pay attention to. Okay, let's keep reading. In Genesis 11, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. One language, one people, nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. So he said, come, I got to keep reading. Come, let us go down and confuse the language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So it sounds familiar, right? And so here's the thing. They were all one people, one language, and... I won't go to that, that part yet. And instead of building and expanding the kingdom unto the Lord, 
they wanted to make a name for themselves. And I looked up what is Babel, and Babel means to mix, mingle, and confuse. Babylon means a confusion by mixing. The word tower is from the root word gadal, and it means to grow, become great or important, to promote, to make powerful, to praise, magnify, do great things, to magnify oneself. That's the key because, of course, we're supposed to do great things. And yes, we want to make things great, but it is not unto ourselves. It is unto the Lord. And how many times, let me just say this really quickly. Um, Well, and let me just say that. How many times have I been doing something and I've been so wrapped up in it? Like I could say that was all unto the Lord, that was all about him, or it was all about you, someone else. But I realize if I really get honest and step back, a lot of that was about me. Wanting my name to be great. Me wanting to look good. Even preaching a good message, we can get wrapped up in, well, that was about me. And I'm not navel-gazing, you know what I'm saying? Do y'all hear me? So the word tower is, from the, is the word migdal. And it means elevated stage or pulpit, a rostrum, or figuratively, a pyramid. So what is a pyramid? What's on the dollar bill? Pyramid, remember? Pyramid with a little eye above it. And just doing a little bit more research, one of the reasons they put the pyramid on it, the pyramid was seen as the kind of human structure that would outlast the ages. It represents a worldly system. The world systems are made in man's own image, in the likeness and image of man. The world systems will be transformed by the sons of God. The sons of God, those who know who they are, we don't take dominion by going in and taking over and wiping everybody out and kicking out all those people that don't know God. No, we go in low and we serve with the humble heart of a servant and we just bring transformation to the company that we're in, the bank system that we're in, the school system that we're in. Transformation comes to the world systems because the sons and daughters of God are manifesting the glory, the nature and the image and the likeness of their father right? And so the children here, the children of man, they wanted to build a city, according to the definitions that I just read you, they wanted to build a city and an elevated stage or pulpit for themselves so they would look great, important, and powerful. And how much of the church do we do that today? How much have we gotten wrapped in with that that looks great and it's elevated, and it's important, and it's powerful, and we're doing great things. And according to the definition of Babel, it's a mixture. You hear what I'm saying? And it's confusing. It means confusion. So there's things that were being released that are confusing because it kind of looks like God. It kind of sounds like God, but I don't know. Is that really God? Does anybody know what I'm saying it's not, I'm just meaning it's like every, it's the noise, the cacophony that is being released, is, it's clanging. 
it, it's loud and, and there's, and so much of it's coming from the media, but it's also coming from social media. And so we have to get really still and quiet to hear what is God saying? What is God doing? So in contrast to that, flip over to Acts 2. We looked at Babel, Babylon. Um, so they wanted to make a name for themselves. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, saying, are all these not Galileans? They all talk about where they come from, but go down to verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, I can't say that word, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So when they're building the Tower of Babel, let's go and build for ourselves a city and a tower and make a name for ourselves. They're talking about how great ourselves are. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh, they hear in each other's language them declaring not the mighty works that they were going to do, but the mighty works of God. That is what an outpouring looks like. An outpouring is that I completely get out of the way and we are declaring the mighty works of God. We are declaring the preeminence of Jesus, that Jesus Christ and him alone is the only one worthy. He deserves all of our attention, all of our affection. So we are gonna declare him and who he is and how great he is and the mighty works of God. And people will testify to the miracles and the healings and the deliverances that are happening and look at all that Christ has done. Not look at all that kingdom life has done, not look at all that Kelly has done, not so that I can look great, but so that he can shine and be great because he is. Well, that was good, so y'all can. I thought it was good. No mixture. There's no mixture in that. It's a pure sound. It's a sound from heaven declaring the mighty works of God. And the result is in Acts 2, if we kept reading, is that they shared all things in common. They broke bread. They had the teaching of the apostles. Many signs and wonders were being done. They sold their belongings. They distributed to everyone who had a need. We see a family. We see a community. We see a body of believers who were going out. Apostles are sent ones. They were going out and declaring the works of God and healing and saving and delivering just like Jesus had been. And so my question is, where are we today? In Babylon or Pentecost? And I believe that God wants to demonstrate mighty works of God through his sons and daughters because we know who we are, because we know who our Father is, because we are beholding him. And he is going to bring forth a pure mixture, pure gold, So in the book of Revelation, that's a hard switch, isn't it? I was like, shoo. We went from Genesis 11, Acts 2, and now we're all the way in Revelation. But it's important because, like I said at the beginning, hang on, I don't know where I am. 
uh, growing up, I, and I think most of us are, and I'm not going to try to take away anyone's end time theology and eschatology, okay? Are all, all good? I'm not going to try to, but so much of our eschatology was formed by fiction, by books, right? Like the Left Behind series that were books and then movies. And then remember um, This Present Darkness? I read that, I think, in high school or college. I was terrified. I literally would sit on my bed and I thought demons were going to jump on my back. Literally, because the whole book is graphic depicting demons jumping on people. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified, you know? And it formed so much of our eschatology. And so we read those things. And so when we read the book of Revelation, we see beasts and we think of, you know, helicopters with guns on them and tanks rolling in. And we start to see all this crazy stuff. And so we've looked, and I was trained to look for exactly what's happening now in the earth based upon this book of Revelation. Like, where are we now? How close are we to the end? And like, I've lived in my 50-something years through lots of antichrists like the Antichrist, right? Like lots of them, lots of dictators, lots of presidents that we don't like, Oprah Winfrey. I heard the other day that Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, like the Biebs, like why don't they leave him alone? That is so, but it's, but so we're looking for the Antichrist. And do you know that that article, the is not in the book of Revelation? The Antichrist is not even in the book of Revelation? But how much do we read into Scripture because we think it's there? I like you. Thank you. You want to come sit up here? <laughs> do you know how, like, um, have you ever done those things where people will um, automatically eliminate words or letters because we're so trained, we think we know what we're reading, but when they tell us to go back and look, we're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize that all the vowels were missing. Or, you know, do you know what I'm saying? We do that with Scripture. Or we come with a pre-informed mind, and I cherry-pick, and I'm looking for the scriptures that back up my doctrine and my belief, and I never get to grow and actually have Holy Spirit teach me something that I so need to know. So when I say that we're going to look at the book of Revelation, I'm not going to dive deeply into it tonight. I just want to like paint this picture in beginning, if you will, that we might look at it in a different light. And so we need fresh eyes to do that. We need a new lens. We need a new perspective. And you know that the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, right? It was written by the Apostle John, and he um, had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the gospel. One of the earliest church fathers, Tertullian, uh, tells a story where they try in the Roman Colosseum, they boiled him in a vat of oil, in front of all of these people, and that could not kill him. So he comes out of the vat of oil, and everyone there got saved. That's the earliest church father, one of the earliest church fathers said. Some people dispute that. So here is the Apostle John. In his later years, he's seen most of his friends martyred. He's in exile alone on the Isle of Patmos, and he has this encounter, because he was with the Lord, and, and he has this encounter that we're going to read the first verse in just a minute. I think I'm going to read it in the Passion. Um, hang on. So when he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote five letters. There's his gospel, right? The gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 
And John, and I've been spending, I read an incredible book recently about him. And so I've really been spending a lot of time on his life. And just, it's like the more I get to know Joey and I spend time with Joey, um, so much of Joey rubs off on me. And you know how couples start to talk, talk alike? Friends do this too. We use the same slang, the same language. You just start to sound like each other. So when I'm looking at the Apostle John's life, I want what he had. I want the revelation that he had because you know what he knew? He knew the love of the Father. He knew love. You know what he called him? Remember he called himself the one that Jesus loved. And some people think that's arrogant. I think that is a confident, well-loved child. I should be able to go, you know what? I am Jesus' favorite, and I am. I'm the one Jesus loves, and I am. And you know what it does? It makes a confident child that will sit down at the table, climb up in dad's lap, and isn't ashamed to ask for a thing. Because we're not orphans. We are well-loved children. And John knew that. They called him the apostle of love. He also had a revelation that Jesus was the son of God. He started the book of John. It says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Skip down to verse 14. He says, and the word was made manifest, displayed out in the open, and we beheld his glory. So he's talking about Jesus was in the beginning, and then the first letter of John, John, 1 John 1, 1, he says that from, I can't remember if it's like from the very beginning, he goes, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. He's saying this Jesus, the word made flesh, we, with, we were with him. He was real in the flesh. So John knew the son of God, and he wanted to communicate in his letters that this Jesus is the son of God. He is the word of God, and he is love. So why do we think that then John writes this book that is just scary and terrifying with weird creatures and it's all about how the end of the world is going to be so dark and it's going to be terrible and terrible things are going to happen and all of these wars are going to... Why do we read that into it? I don't know. So if, and again, if we look at the book of Revelation, and I just put this out there as a love story... Does it change everything? That just as the other books and just as he wrote these other letters encouraging believers to behold Jesus and receive the love of a father, what if Revelation is the same way? We cannot hyper-literalize the text. We can't look at the Bible and hyper-literalize it. We can't do it with the book of Revelation because Jesus taught using symbols allegory, um, so that understanding would come through a picture, because it required a discerning heart. Do you remember the disciple said, why do you speak to all of them in parables? And he said, well, because having eyes they do not see, and having ears they do not hear, lest they turn and be healed. Meaning, he's looking for someone who has an eye to see, and has an ear to hear, so that understanding comes to their heart. So it's taking somebody who's going to get a revelation. Do you see that? So if Jesus taught in par- with parabolic insight and, and uh, pictures and symbols, that's what the book of Revelation is. Je- so it's even like when he said, even what you think you have will be taken away. Those who have, and he said it in the same context, more will be given. 
but what you think you have and those it will be taken away. It's because those people are hungry, seeking after revelation from him. It's that he hides things in plain sight. He hides levels of truth that superficial seekers will not find. But hungry lovers of God will dig out wisdom and revelation knowledge all day long. And that's what I want. He wants us to have ears to hear. So, the book of Revelation is a book of symbolism meant to be discovered. I love this. God told Brian Simmons, and I got to read it. God told him um, when he's, and he's only, he's, I guess, halfway through the book of Revelation and teaching it. But it was just on this, I heard him one day and I thought, oh, I love that. He said, it, God told him, if you understand the first verses of Revelation, you will understand the whole book. He said, you will understand all the books of the Bible, the first few verses in each book. He said, I have hidden the key to the front door under the doormat. If you will lift up the doormat, you will discover the key. Oh, isn't that just so awesome? If you love to study the word, come on, like that. I've hidden the key under the doormat, and if you lift up the doormat, you will discover the key that unlocks the whole book. It's hidden in the first verses. So that's what I'm saying, y'all. Yesterday, I'm like, Wah! literally like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, as I'm reading it and seeing it because it is coming alive. This key, I had this encounter recently and I saw, and I was on a call and I saw Jesus reaching in to our minds and he had this huge ancient locks and ancient keys and he was just unlocking everyone. And I believe that the ancient days is offering ancient wisdom that is being unlocked for sincere seekers. For those who are going after his heart and those who want to display the beauty and the radiance of Christ, and we all do, every one of you in here do, he's unlocking things. And I believe that there's going to be more teaching on and revelation on the book of Revelation for these end times, not because it's scary and we're looking to see who the Antichrist is, because we need to discover who we are in this picture and in this portrait that's being displayed, right? So, I'm sorry, I just love that so much. Um, so John uses symbols and pictures that would have already been familiar to his mostly Jewish audience from the prophetic scriptures, from Old Testament scriptures. So seeing symbolism and imagery, imagery is the key that unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation. And we all understand symbols, right? I mean, is Jesus literally a rock? Is Jesus literally a lamb or a lion? No. When I hear that about a, the lion or the lamb, I know who they're talking about, Jesus. Because, not because he is that, but because the symbol represents that, and you don't need to tell me that anymore. Right? So same thing here. So John is employing the very thing that Jesus did. John also spent most of his later years in Ephesus, so he was heavily influenced by Paul's teachings. So a lot of what John is writing, it sounds kind of even like Paul's writing because they understood union. They had a revelation of the oneness that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of the union that we are co in co-union with God, with each other. Um, huh, I get so excited. I'm so sorry. I just, don't y'all love the Bible? Oh my God, I love it. Okay, so Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. Let's turn to it. Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. <clears throat> I'm going to read it in the Passion. 
This is the unveiling. Let me just say too, it is revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations. Because a lot of people think it's revelations. There's a lot of revelations, but it's revelation. There's only one. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to share with his loving servants that must occur swiftly. He signified it by sending his angel to his loving servant, John. Okay, so that word revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is apocalypsis, which how many movies do we read to watch about the apocalypse? The Walking Dead and zombies. We ought to be ready for the apocalypse because it's going to be terrible and scary and we all need to like be able to like stick a shank in the guy's temple to kill the zombie. I mean, right? It's ridiculous. The apocalypse, apo, A-P-O, means to lift, to uncover. And lupo, which is the root word that lipsis comes from, is veil. So what revelation means is to uncover or reveal what once was veiled or was hidden and was unknown. So the Holy Spirit is unveiling Jesus Christ in these last days. So this is this whole book is an unveiling of Jesus Christ, not a manual on how to survive the end times. If this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, guess what? It's the revelation of you and me. Because you and I are in Christ. We are completely one with him. So when the revelation of Jesus Christ is happening in the earth, the revelation of you and I as the bride of Christ is being unveiled as well. And that's how all men will come to know and want to know Jesus because they see him in you. You are a revelation of Christ. You are a living epistle, a living letter to be read by all. That's why it matters that I'm spending time looking at Jesus, sitting with him, meditating upon him. Because when I do that, it's recalibrating my heart. I'm getting in sync with his heart, and then I begin to respond the way he would respond. When I am not doing that and I am dry, let me tell you something. I do not respond the way Jesus would respond a lot of times. And it is key that we do that, that we know what he's saying, that we have discernment about what is going on because the world needs to know so that we don't contribute to the chaos and the noise and the confusion out there, but somebody is coming in with the sharp, accurate, prophetic word of the Lord that just completely shifts everything. Where once I was blind, but now I see. Once there was complete confusion, but now it's absolutely crystal clear, right? That's what he's doing. So this unveiling is the unveiling that God gave to Jesus is the same unveiling that you and I have as sons and daughters. The same DNA that was in Jesus is in us. We are equal counterparts. We look like him. And God wants to fill the earth with people that look just like him. We are living letters to be read by all. So on that, when you see that God, so this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Jesus. So God gave this revelation to Jesus, and then Jesus gave it to an angel who gave it to John, who's giving it to us. Do you see that? So then the angel stays and helps John interpret what he's just given him. 
So this revelation that was given to John is given to us. And, and if we kept reading, it's blessed are those who read this. Blessed who, but we're not going to go into that today, and I shouldn't even say that. Um, Romans 8, I think we have it. Romans 8, that same word, apocalypto, or apocalypsis, is there. And Romans 8, 18 and 19, you can flip there in your Bibles or quickly punch your app. Romans 8, 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed, apocalypse in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing or revelation of the sons of God. So all of creation is waiting for the unveiling and the revealing of the sons and daughters revealing the manifest sons and daughters, liberating all of creation because we know who we are. We've discovered who we are in the face of Jesus Christ, a pure mirror image. 1 Peter 1, 5 and 7, we find the same word. Um, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's talking about trials, persecution, tribulation, The tribulation occurs twice. It appears twice in the book of Revelation. It appears 22 times in the King James Version. And tribulation, the Greek word is thalipsis. Thalipsis. Say that three times. And it means pressing a pressure, a refining by intense pressure. Does anybody feel that? Do you feel pressure? A pressing, right? Because we're in tribulation. And do you know that the tribulation is for believers? I'm gonna, we're going to look at that in a second. Because we're going to read two more verses and I'll be done. And I want to do a little bit of ministry at the end. So we're being pressed down, squeezed. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I wanted to do something that I don't have time for, but I'd love to, I'd love to do it soon. But let me just say this. Um, there is survival mode and there is creation mode, and we were not meant to stay in survival mode. Um, Seth mentioned it. Anna talked about it. The whole, when we've got so much media and so much information coming at us and social media is giving us so much information that we're constantly being traumatized because my brain literally can't cipher through all that information. It's information, 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 and our brains are hardwired to the familiar. So my brain wants to look for agreement, for things that I already know and things I already agree with. So when all of that is coming at me, it is just reinforcing what I think I already know and what I already believe. And social media does that too, because it's an echo chamber, right? And the algorithms, it just keeps giving me more stuff I already believe and already know. And so what it does is um, our brains get in constant stress mode because it releases cortisol, it releases adrenaline, and that's great if I'm running from a tiger, but it's not so great when I'm just sitting at home trying to chill with my husband. And the stress 
hormones can be released by thought alone. I had, uh, I, we went, I went to the beach last week. We're doing a house in, down in Port Aransas, and my builder said, go look at this fireplace in this house. And I went over there, and it was on the third story, and I don't know this house. And I go up to the third story, and I see the fireplace, and I'm not paying attention. I'm on my phone, and I had just gone up there, and I turned because I was just going to go walk where I thought the stairs were. And there was no tape, and there was no railing. And y'all, I don't know why I didn't, an angel. I mean, seriously, I don't know how or why I didn't stop. Because I literally went like that, and I realized that there was no, I would have fallen to the very third floor. I mean, all the way to the first floor, from the third floor. And I just started shaking. I immediately burst and started praying in tongues. It was crazy. Literally, I immediately started praying in the Spirit. I started crying. I, like, I left. It rattled me. The whole way home, it rattled me. Days later, when I would just remember it, my body immediately went into that again, the cascade of stress hormones. So the problem with what we're doing, and to reinforce what Anna said two weeks ago, the problem with this information overload is our brains are staying in constant stress mode, and, we're, and, and we know that when you stay in constant stress and survival, the body goes into disease. So when it's anger, it's envy, it's jealousy, it's confusion, it's fear, it's all of that stuff is going, we cannot shift then into creative mode. And we are, you and I are creators because we are made in the image of creative God. So we have to get out of that shift and be able to meditate upon God and allow him, all of that cascade, to be released and get back into the, this part of the brain that I told you about earlier, creator mode, creative mode, where peace, joy Love, freedom, grace, where those things come. And we have to learn how to self-regulate. And that was just a little tiny science lesson in the middle of, but I'm concerned about it. Because when we stay in that mode, we're not being creators. We're not manifesting what we're here to manifest. And listen, because I'll just get caught up in it. And I'm like, stress and anxiety and fear and, oh no, control, take control and everything. And it's a plan, it's a scheme of the enemy. And I don't like it. So anyway. Um, so the last scripture I want to read is Revelation 7, and I had a huge encounter, um, yesterday in my kitchen. I was eating lunch and reading this, and I got to this scripture. I was just kind of going and reading through the whole thing of Revelation. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And when I read this scripture, I just experienced it. I can't explain it. I wasn't seeing it with my eyes. I wasn't even seeing it with the eyes of my spirit. I was experiencing it. I was feeling it. I was in the middle of the movie. And it's this. Um, Revelation 7, starting in verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these in glistening white robes, and where have they come from? I answered, My Lord, you must know. Then he said to me, They are ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and have emerged from the midst of great pressure, that's tribulation, great pressure or tribulation and ordeal, for this reason, they are before the throne of God, ministering to him as priests day and night within his cloud-filled sanctuary. And the enthroned one spreads over them his tabernacle shelter. They overcame, 
No, they washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. And I remembered and I look back, remember in Revelation 5, John saw a little lamb who was slain or slaughtered, but he was alive. So in this trance or whatever John was in when he is receiving this and seeing this, he sees Jesus standing in the middle of the throne, the lamb who was slain, but he was alive. And all of the elders and everybody were shouting and praising because he was worthy to open the scrolls. Because one was found worthy to open the scrolls, this lamb. And I just immediately, it's just like everything in me. And we know it's not a literal lamb. It's that Jesus bears the marks of sacrifice on his body. And I don't know where I ever heard this, but this thing just started going through me. And I literally started, I mean, I just was on my face and just crying because I was hearing three nails. It just took three nails. Three nails. It just took three nails three nails and a crown of thorns. And I just was weeping on my face because I could see the lamb who was slain, but yet he was alive. And these ones, you and I, we wash our robes in the blood of the lamb. We are made white and pure and holy and righteous because of the blood of the lamb, because of what Jesus went through, because of what Jesus did. Holiness is embedded in us because he, holiness, was pierced with a crown of thorns, that literally they dug a crown of thorns into his skull, into his mind, that our minds might be renewed, that literally the marks and the wounds that are on his brow, you know, like the mark of the beast is what, on their forehead and on their hands, but what if it's that Jesus bore the marks on his forehand head and on his hands. He was pierced in his hands for you and I, for the things that we do, for our ways. The thoughts, the fallen mindset, 666 is the fullness of humanity. The fallen mindset, humanity at its worst, human nature, not God-like nature. And I could just see the thorns like crushing into his brow. I could see the, the nails being driven into his hands and his feet being pierced by the, for our own walk, that all of that was taking place. It's that even in Isaiah 53, remember he was bruised on our behalf, that you and I, the emotional wounding that you can't see, it's blood on the inside, my emotional life, my emotional well-being, he was bruised for that. He took stripes. His flesh was literally torn off of his back so that you and I could be healed. And so the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice, that's why we get to stand pure and holy and confident because of what he did. And remember then his side was pierced and blood and water flowed from his side. And that is a new birth. He, Jesus, a man, gave birth to a bride through blood and water. If anyone's had a baby, there's lots of blood and water. So Jesus, the man, gives birth to a bride, the new creation. Remember Father God, when he took the rib from Adam's side and he formed and fashioned a bride for Adam and they called her Eve because she was the mother of all living. You and I are, when, we, when I say I am a son of God, I am saying it is because I am a new class of being. 
You are a new class of being. You are a new creation who was birthed from the side of the Lamb of God. The blood and water spilled out. The church of Jesus Christ was birthed in the earth so that the radiant bride, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of the bride, the unveiling of you and I is displaying the glory of God so that all might know that all might come. And how does the book of Revelation end? The the book of Revelation ends with the bride and the spirit in complete unison and complete harmony saying, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come to the river of life. Come drink freely without price. We see a tree. We see the tree of life there. We see the river of life there. We're back in the garden. Eden has been restored because the bride And the Holy Spirit and Father and Son are one. And we are calling the multitudes to come and eat. Come and drink. That just should make you want to shout. Like everything in me, like the, I just, I literally, I couldn't stop crying. And I'm not a huge crier. I'm really not. If you know me, well, and I could not stop crying because it just was that three nails. It just took three nails. It only took three nails. And he did that for you and me. So that's why for me, the mixture is unacceptable. We can hasten the coming of the Lord. He he is coming back. The new Jerusalem is coming. We're not going to the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is coming here, and the new Jerusalem is the city of the redeemed. The new Jerusalem is people. And Jesus is coming back, and it says that he's coming on the clouds. And what do clouds symbolize in the Bible? People. So Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth through a people, a new heaven and a new earth, a redeemed city, all of that. And I'll end with this. Um, the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross was to telestai. That's the Greek. But if you study it back in the Hebrew, I mean in the Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke. Most scholars agree Jesus spoke Aramaic. The word he spoke was halah. And halah, to telestai means it is finished. Halah is bride. It's perfected. So Jesus' last words are, it is finished, my perfected bride. The bride price has been paid. He's bringing forth his bride, fully formed, through much tribulation. Uh, we we're going to look at, so next time we'll look at some footnotes here, because I think they're really powerful, that Brian Simmons, but I want to pay attention to the time. Um, but through much tribulation, pressure, pressure, pressing, people are being birthed into the kingdom. And I was reading this book the other day, and there was this little quote at the very end of the book, and I tore it out. And it's from an old theologian from the early 1900s. And it says, the old man is crucified. I take him with me to the tomb. And as I rise, it is you who rise in me. As I ascend to the throne, it is you who ascend with me. You are a new creation. Henceforth, your life shall flow from me and from my throne. The sea of glass that's crystal clear that is flowing from the throne of God is you. That we have been made one and we sit on the throne with him and we are flowing from his throne in all power and all authority that he has given to us. That we might 
extend and enforce the kingdom of God in the earth. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. The bride is making herself ready. She is preparing herself and we're preparing for a wedding. Um, I kind of, when I was doing that part about the thoughts and the fallen mindset and the hands and the feet, I feel like what I want to do, just an ending, and I, I am going to, I don't know when I'm going to teach next, but I feel strongly about this. And I think I feel strongly about it because I feel like the enemy's done a great job in I've always said this, it's just, I don't even care about that. I don't even know how to figure out the book of Revelation. I don't know. And I believe that the Lord wants to release something for us, to us and for us. So I want to dive in a little bit deeper next time. But what I want to do right now, can Zach or somebody, can somebody like, could you play? Do you have a guitar up here still? Are you too hard to get plugged in? Somebody play? (laughs) Okay. Um. When I was having that encounter, I was not witnessing it as them, look what they're doing to Jesus. I was going, oh my gosh, this was for me. And I was seeing like what he paid for, the bride price that was paid for my thoughts, for my mindset, for the things that I've done, the ways that I have walked, for the anxiety for the stress, for the fear, and for the control. And I just wanted to extend an invitation that we just, and this is old school, we used to do it all the time, but we just apply the blood of the lamb. Like that we just get to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of our lives. And when the children did that in Exodus, at the sight of the blood, all destruction had to pass over. So destruction has no authority to touch your life at the sight of the blood. And so I just want to, by faith, if you want, stand up. You can come up here and just demonstrate that, and you're doing it. You know what it is, that you receive the healing in your mind, whether it be mental instability, imbalance, whether it be anxiety or fear or oppression. I'm telling you that at the sight of the blood that Jesus Christ wants to break all of oppression off of your mind. He wants to break all mental illness, all anxiety, that foreboding, that feeling of foreboding at the sight of the blood, that has to go. Trauma, we just break trauma off in Jesus' name. We apply the blood of Jesus Christ and command all trauma to release now in Jesus' name. And so you just right now, just with your own time with the Lord, I want you to like, just like it was three nails (laughs) and two hands and his feet, there's a crown of thorns on his head and what he purchased and what he paid for. And the way that we apply the blood is we just receive it. We paint it. So you just do that right now. Just just one minute and I'll wrap us up.
Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you for your life. Thank you for your life, that you willingly laid down your life. You willingly offered your body as a sacrifice. And thank you, we just receive all of it, all of it tonight, every bit, every bit of the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that you've washed our minds clean. Thank you, Lord, that you've embedded holiness within us that's dug down deep. It's a sure and a perfect work. I thank you, Lord, that you've washed our hands from anything that we've done, and you've washed our feet from our own walk and our own ways. I thank you, Lord, that we stand perfectly innocent in your sight, pure, with no blemish, with no stain, because you've washed us clean. And I thank you that you've clothed us in white robes, Thank you, Lord, that you took off and you removed all of our old filthy rags and you've covered us with robes of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for those. Thank you for the robes of righteousness. Thank you for innocence, for redeeming our mindset. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us revelation. Thank you for continued wisdom and revelation and the intimate knowledge of you, of who you are and all your ways. Thank you for unlocking, Lord, for unlocking our minds. I thank you, Lord, that you just remove all, any false teaching, any unbelief, any doubt, any just even wrong error. Lord, thank you that you just remove that. Cleanse us, Lord, of that and give us a new mind, your mind. I thank you that you've given us access to your mind, Jesus. Thank you for increasing our capacity to receive deeper wisdom, deeper understanding, deeper knowledge. And Lord, we want to run after your heart. We want to know you. We want to know you. We want to be intimate with you. We want to know your word. So thank you that you would continue to unlock that for us, God. Thank you for beautifying us, glorifying your bride. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for giving us value and worth. Thank you that we know that we're well-loved children that we're your favorite, that there's no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, and there's no judgment. All of that got taken care of on the cross, and we leave all of that behind. We just step into the newness of life, that you say that you are making all things new. And Lord, we agree with you. We agree with you, Spirit, and we say, come. We beckon the world to come. Come taste and see how good this King is. How kind, how compassionate, how loving, how powerful. And so we thank you, Lord. What in the world would we be afraid of because you are for us? Nothing can stand against us because we're your kids. And I know what it's like to be a mom, and now I know what it's like to be a grandmom, and nobody is coming near my kids. And how much more do you feel? So thank you, God. What kind of love, what kind of love have we been given that we should be called children of God? Mm. I just want you to feel that. Let that wash over you. Like Zach saying, let that love wash over you. What kind of love that the creator of the universe that the King of kings and Lord of lords has adopted you, has chosen you, 
has called you son and daughter, is inviting you into his lap, he will not disappoint you. So just receive that deeply, deeply into your heart, your spirit, your soul, your body. Thank you, God. Love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Stay here and keep soaking in that if you want to, need to. Receive that deeper. I encourage you, if you want to go do this Bible college with Brian Simmons, it's passion and fire, I think, something.com. It's $10. It's just good. It's good stuff. I'm sorry I went a little bit over. Um, um, yeah, prayer team's going to be up here so you all can come and get some prayer if you want. But um, anyway, dig in. It's good. <laughs> Love y'all. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website at kingdomlifesa.com for more podcasts, updates, and events, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a blessed day.